and welcome. It's January the 15th, halfway through uh, the first month of 2021. Thanks for joining us, Brent. I guess the first piece of news, picking up where we were talking last week, um, did you change your forecast on the 91 million acres of corn and soybeans this week? I haven't yet. I, I, I'm trying not to overreact to all, you know, every little up and down in the market on these things. So I'm, I'm kind of holding a little bit steady. I'm at this point, I think, you know, we will see more than 91 million acres of corn. I'm at 50% on both of those. And that's maximum uncertainty, right? So like, right. I, part of the hazard here is I, I put the line at a number that I thought was going to be hard to clear. <laughs> so it's a very interesting question. I think something that's relevant, a new piece of news is the USDA this week came out with an estimate of 1.5 million acres of wheat more than last year which is an upturn. But of course, Brent, you reminded me of a story from several years ago when wheat took its first plunge and how the markets can incentivize producers to unplant or uh, change their planting minds when it comes to, to wheat uh, and when a strong uh, corn crop in the market. Yeah, absolutely. Wheat acres can disappear pretty quickly. Uh, a little bit of Roundup. A few years ago, one of the chemical companies was offering free Roundup if you bought corn seed to spray it plant on your wheat acres so it can change pretty quickly <laughs> you know that corn acre question is interesting just looking at the consensus that's that thing is shooting up <laughs> over 70 percent now i'm at 70 percent and I, i'm below consensus right now for those following along right this question expires after that june acreage report so there's a lot of things that can happen between today and then there's a prospective planning report that'll help us dial in and then there's the prevent plant situation either pulls that down or either go below normal prevent plant or we come in above normal prevent plant. So that's, that's another factor to keep in mind. So a lot of moving pieces here. I think we're just in the early, early stages of this acreage debate, this acreage battle. Yeah, it's, it's really going to heat up. I think it's going to get interesting and we're going to have a prospective plannings question, of course, too, pretty soon. And that one's even is kind of interesting, too, because it doesn't include the prevent plant, right, David? I mean, that's what farmers intend to plant. There's always some controversy around what that really is. And there's some really smart people who maybe I disagree with or I, <laughs> I think they're confused. So I guess maybe we disagree. My understanding is that the USDA surveys producers. And then they take those results and put them into a, a black box that assumes normal planting conditions and normal prevent plan and works through sort of normal. Right. So they take the survey of what farmers tell them and then make some adjustments for normal prevent plant. Right. And I think I think that is correct. So I think some other people think they're just at they're reporting sort of the the raw number. And I don't think that's that's the case at all. So there there is some sort of normalization that goes through that data. They clean it or package it or normalize it to get it to some sort of normal. But we'll write about this in a future post. But it's interesting. Usually the thing we think about from perspective planting to final is producers swapping acres, moving, you know, getting these signals to plant more corn or, or less corn or more, and in doing so, plant less soybeans or more soybeans, they trade. But that doesn't really ever happen. And, and it happens occasionally, right? But a majority of the time, 
those acres go up together or they go down together, which is this sort of this prevent plant. And my bias, something I want to bear out in some data I've been looking at is prevent plant is really a bigger mover of these acres than this corn versus soybean battle. It happens and it's important, but prevent plant is a huge, often overlooked factor in, in how we actually get to that final number. That's the other thing. I saw some articles this last week that kind of suggested some things that I I think are wrong about where acreage is going to likely to shift as well. Partly for the reason you're talking about, I think it was kind of suggesting Illinois and Iowa could see some pretty big swings in soybean acres. And I don't believe that's what the data would tell us. That's not where the acres shift at. I just think there's a lot more volatility ups and downs and planted acres in places like North South Dakota and Kansas and even into the South than there is in Illinois and Iowa on soybean acres. I, that data is on our website, actually, on the free site from a while ago, but we need to update that. Yeah, I'm, I'm adding a note here to get that updated because, you know, here's another thing that's interesting is the most soybeans we ever planted was essentially 90 million, right? So if we're going to get over 90, over 90, um, we got to find some, I guess, some new net acres, right? And so how do we always put that together? But you know, and, and generally speaking, you know, th- these rotations can be kind of sticky in the corn belt. They might swing a little bit back and forth, but there's some bounds and not a lot of soybeans following soybeans in, in the corn belt. Now, I grew up in Southeast Kansas, and that was a uh, that was a common practice, especially if you were risk adverse and money was tight and you didn't have to put a lot of you, you ran into a lot of problems, management problems. <laughs> but it was something that people did a little more. Yeah, I think if you go across the border, too, in Missouri, you see that more. So it, it definitely happens. Right now, though, I mean, like you said, the acreage battle is going to be really, really fascinating. Wheat fired the first salvo up 3%. First time, right? For wow, a long yeah. time, seeing wheat acres increase. We'll see if that holds. Really, really interesting. I think beans have got to, got some work to do if they want to get 91 million acres on the price in, in my off-the-cuff analysis. So we're going to dig into that in a lot more detail here in the coming weeks and months. One of the things to keep in mind, right, is soybeans getting over 90 million acres or over 50% of all the combined corn and soybean acres is uncharted territory in a bit of a way, right? So we're outside of the range of normal operating and normal relationships. So we have to be careful when we go outside the bounds of the models we use, right? That's a very, it's one of those warning labels that Brent reminded us of when we, when we're using models is when you get side outside of the range of observations you're you've used to forecast, you got to be very careful with that. Yeah, it reminds me. It's like, it's really interesting, almost like deja vu. Before the trade war, I remember I was getting calls from reporters and soybeans were actually, acreage was equal to, I think they were projecting higher than corn at the time. And it turned out to be an equal. And I think in USDA's baseline, they even had soybean acres exceeding corn acres. And they're like, well, soybean going to take over, you know, be the be the new major crop in the United States. And, the, and at the time, I was like, well, I don't, I don't think so. Well, I was skeptical of it. And of course, then the trade war took that off the table. I guess we're back to that same old debate again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's back and we'll see how it goes. And I think the challenge here is on that, we mentioned this last week, but 91 million acres of corn, 91 million acres of soybeans. If we got over on both of those, how are we going to do that? It's sort of a, it's a bit of a glass ceiling there at 
180 million acres for both of those crops. So something mm-hmm. else to keep in mind. The second thing I want to share here is an article I put together this week on the premium side. One of the things that always jumps out to me is we look at corn ending stocks or soybean ending stocks to use. And we kind of say, here's a story for corn. Here's a story for wheat. Here's a story for soybeans. But you can't really ever add those up, right? You can't add the bushels. You can't add the stocks to use ratios. But here's a method that you're not going to see anywhere else, anyone else doing. Brent and I thought about this a lot. And the idea is let's convert those ending stocks, those bushels, back to acres of production. And let's think about how much ending stocks there are in, on an acre basis. And then we can add those acres up. We can say, okay, how many acres of stocks do we have and how does that compare? So what's really interesting is that we've seen stocks tighten quite a bit over the last few years. So for context, ending stocks in the U.S. were about 60 million acres at their height in 2018. Now they've fallen to about 37 million acres. For context, 30 to 32 is the low that we saw back in the drought of 2012. Uh, We also looked at it on a percentage of what we've harvested. And then also there's the world story. And again, we took the China story out. We've trended lower. We're not quite at those 2012 lows. So the main takeaway here is the stock story is more than just US. It's more than a soybean story. Stocks are getting tight, I guess, around the world across all commodities aggregated together. And that's starting to fuel this tighter situation. I think this is an interesting way to look at it. And some something that David kind of came up with and and it's different than haven't ever haven't seen anybody else do it. Of course, we'll probably start seeing people do it now. Uh, that we're kind of releasing a little bit, but it's on the premium side. It's, it's an interesting way to kind of look at the, at the big picture. And, and the big picture is telling us the stocks are getting tighter. It's all the commodities. So I- interesting analysis. The crop that's the tightest can't just go buy surplus acres from other crops, right? This is this bidding that we've got to see among the crops to see it's not a question of who gets stuck with the acres it's the question of who can bid to get the most acres and that's the situation that we're we're pointing out here is that the stock situation in the u.s and around the globe is pointing to less wiggle room less ability to shift across these crops the other thing you'll be seeing that i'm going to do in the next week another article on land values looking more closely at kind of what the implied cash rental rate is going forward so kind of a forward-looking piece on on land values and then something on the arc plc decision which is looming for many people just to preview the the hard one is corn soybeans i think pretty easy wheat fairly easy corn not as clear of an answer there and so i'll try and put some thinking down for people that are interested in that to kind of at least help them think through it it's interesting, right? We're sort of making these decisions. It's the third time we're making an ARC versus PLC decision. But every time it's a kind of a new environment. And so the the game is shifting, right? It's a very different board every time we go to, to move our make our moves here. I look forward to that article. A lot of new questions on the Ag Forecast Network. So make sure you get in there. We're going to add a few more questions in the coming weeks. Good to sort of zero in our thinking and start making our plans. So the story that I want to share, in case you haven't seen it in our newsletter that came out earlier today, it's about glass marble racing. So there's one of them is called Marbula One, a playoff Formula One. And the other one is glass car so a playoff nascar and so there's these videos and you can watch them and, and they have 
very intricately done but the idea here is they somehow raise the marbles up in elevation and they let them run this track and they do 20 or so laps and it's you know kind of an autonomous mechanism that lifts them to a new elevation and there's a narrator and what's really interesting is one there's a betting market out there (laughs) far enough these people are betting on these of course these were pandemic friendly activities to do so people out there betting on which marble would finish first or how far ahead the winner would be. And, and and then also the narrator would go in there and make comments like, oh, he's a rookie. He's out front. The rookie's out front. This is his second race. We'll see if he can maintain the edge, if he can hold up the stamina. You get caught up into this. So you stop and think about, okay, what's the role of skill versus luck, right? This is to me, and I look at this as a completely random outcome, but it's the narratives that we start to weave. All of a sudden you're rooting for one color or one particular glass marble and you're really wrapped up in this narrative about why they may or may not win and it's actually interesting because their odds you know the the betting pools were putting different odds or favors on different balls and it makes me wonder like well why like is it past performance is it their polling position all very interesting stuff so take a quick look at that and you can challenge yourself to think about the role of skill versus luck in the narratives that we tell ourselves in the middle yeah, we're good at inventing narratives, aren't we? About the equivalent of betting on flies, right? Which one's <laughs> going to land first? And yeah, it's it's really it, we are really masters of inventing stories that confirm our biases. And I think maybe I agree with your point, but I think it's maybe one step further. It's sometimes we're so good at telling stories, we look for things to put stories to. So I think this is maybe one of these examples. We're so good at storytelling that we're going to take random outcomes like these glass marbles racing around this track that we built in our basement during the pandemic. And we're going to actually try to, we're going to test our storytelling skills at this completely random outcome or this set of random events. So, and how good does it work? Fascinating stuff. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We'll catch you all next week. Update your forecast. Take a look at the new content. In the meantime, stay curious. Thanks. Thanks.